let's stand right now uh, for the reading of God's word and Lord Brown. The scripture reading for today's sermon comes from 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of God speaks to us like this. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the very word of God to us. Thank you, Thank you God. Great, thanks, Laura. Y'all can grab a seat. So, um, my wife and I are in this new stage of parenting, and uh, if, if you're a parent who has older kids, you know when you get to this stage. And the stages like that you can do things that you forgot were things. Um, meaning, like, you can leave the, our, our uh, son, our son who's 14, he's old enough to stay with uh, our two youngest kids. And it's just like this whole new stage of parenting that we don't have to frantically be like, where's a babysitter? And how, dates are really expensive when you're paying for a date and a babysitter and all that stuff. And so we're enjoying it. If you're not in that stage and it feels really far off, it's coming. Uh, and I remember when people told me that, and I was like, baloney, I don't feel like it's coming. I think we're going to be in this space for the rest of our lives. Okay? <laughs> so one of the things that we love to do is uh, we love to go to shows together. We love to go to concerts. And uh, last night, we were at a show in Fable, and um, there's this guy who I, I love. He's a great musician. But he, he, before he started a song, he talked about, like, man, this has been a really hard year. We've been turning our backs on each other, and uh, we need each other, and I'm not going to talk about politics. And, and then he said this. He said, this is my church. Y'all are my family. And I immediately, I mean, I went from this, like, oh, my goodness, this is such a great show, and I love that we're here, and all this, to just this crushing, like, I feel so sad about that. And this is the song. This is the song that he then went into. It says, there ain't a single thing. And I want you to actually see these words. There ain't a single thing we own we'll take with us when we're gone. I'm like, yeah, you got Cody. That's right, man. You're absolutely right. And he says this. So I'll just walk the earth a while, lend a hand and leave a smile. And who knows how the whole thing ends. You can't tell me when or where. So I'll just pray that when I'm done, I'll meet the Father and the Son. And, um, man, it was tough for me because the reality of Cody's like, hey, this is my church. Y'all are my family. Uh, Cody's not in North Carolina anymore. I don't know him. When his life blows up, he ain't going to call me. And when my life blows up, I would call him if I had his number probably because I'd love for, just to talk to him like that. But, like, we're not family, Cody and I. I love Cody. I love his music. I know all his songs. We ain't family. And um, one, of the, one of the reasons I like to go to shows like this that are not so, like, you can email me and, and be frustrated. I've frustrated people before. One of the reasons I like to go to shows like this is it helps me connect to the reality of what people are experiencing. When you're around church folk all the time, you can begin, you can forget like what people feel and experience. There's something he's communicating in this song. Made me think of another song. Here's these lyrics. I want you to see this. 
says, I wish I was who I appear. Because I despise the man in the mirror. The memories I've got torture my head. I don't know God, but I heard he was dead. If I'm wrong and in judgment I stand, I will not repent. You can send me to hell with the rest of my friends. Hey, that's deep. Why start a new church? Why go through this series, Metaphors for the Church? Because there are countless people around here with that same mentality, that same perception. I guarantee you, Cody grew up in the church. You can just tell from his songs. And he's like, no, that's where folk go. You pretend you have it all together. I've been there. They don't have the answers. Y'all are my church. When another guy says, I wish I was the person that other people think that I am. But when I look in a mirror, I know who I really am. Got all these memories. I've heard there's a God, but I think he's dead because I'm not experiencing his presence in my life. Why plant this church? Because there are countless people with that same mentality, with that same outlook on life. And why do this series called Metaphors for the Church? Because we've got to understand who we are and what our purpose is. Because there's actually an answer to that longing that we just experienced. And it's not in throwing a great show. It's not in getting all your friends together. It's not in being able to be vulnerable about what you're actually experiencing. That's a beautiful and a good thing. But there are real and true answers to that kind of longing. And what Jesus is going to say is, people should experience those answers inside the church. As we gather and as we scatter. Like, the reason I want you to see those words is I want you to be able to connect that's what people in your neighborhood feel and experience. They might not be able to communicate it. It's one of the reasons I love singer-songwriters. They're able to give voice to what people actually feel and experience. People are like that in your work. Maybe you're here and you're like, I feel that. I feel that. Well, Jesus is going to give us answers and he's going to do it through his church. So this series called Metaphors for the Church. Last week, we dove into the reality that, that we're actually called the family of God. And we saw Jesus' work to bring us home and to give us a family. I wanted to run up onto that stage for multiple reasons. First, just because I love Cody, because I think he's awesome. But then when he says that, I wanted to run up there and be like, man, there's a better family that you can be a part of. There is a God who loves you, who loves you so much that he would send his son to rescue you. God's work to bring us home and to give us a family. So 1 John 3, 1, if I could sum up, sum up last week's sermon with one verse, this would be it. 1 John 3, 1, to see what great love the Father has given us, not that we've earned, given us, that we should be called, God, called God's children, and we are. Father, that's how John, that's how Jesus tells us to refer to God. When you pray, you're supposed to pray to God as Father, you're supposed to realize that in Christ, you're a part of the family of God. One of my favorite books in the world is this book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Highly recommend it to you. I have a few books, like maybe three or four, that I just read once a year. They're that good. Outside the Bible. Don't Jesus joke me. Okay? Outside the Bible, three or four books I read once per year. Knowing God's one of them. J.I. Packer says this in Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, 
Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. So if, if this is true, if it's true that God is Father and that we are His children, it has massive implications on our identity and our action, on who we are and what we're supposed to do. And so here's what John's going to show us in these verses that we're going to look at in 1 John. John's going to show us some of the family traits of being the children of God. If you remember last week, we said that we were going to talk primarily about our identity as children of God. And this week we're going to talk about our, our action. What's our purpose? What are we supposed to do as the children of God? What's it look like? So John's going to show us two of the family traits. Family traits being uh, distinguishing characteristics of what it means to be the family of God. What do the children of God look like? In my family, there's distinguishing characteristics. Like you, you can look at my kids and be like, hey, you, you look like your dad. And sweet little Audra, if you've seen her, she is a spitting image of her mother. Uh, and that's good news for her, because uh, she's not the spit image of her father, right? There's distinguishing traits uh, in the family, and there's two that he's going to point out to us. The, the two are the trait of holiness and the trait of love. The trait of holiness and the trait of love. First, the trait of holiness. Look again at 1 John 3. It says this, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world doesn't know him, know us, is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we're going to be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone, this is the key verse, and everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. So when we say that a characteristic trait in the family of God is holiness, if you grew up in the church, that might make you squirm a little bit. You, you, you might be like, oh, boy, we're about to get legalistic. You're about to give me the list of things I'm supposed to do and that I'm not supposed to do. Like you hear holiness and think either your defenses go up and you're like, no, 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 wait a second. What about the gospel? What about grace? Or you're like, finally... I wish I've been wanting this guy to give me a list of things to do and not do. How am I supposed to leave church and not have five ways to be more holy, right? That's not what John's after. What John's trying to do for us in 1 John 3 by, by saying a trait in the family of God is holiness, is he's trying to connect the dots for his church and for all of those who would follow Jesus that if God is your father and you are his child, He's trying to help you see what it looks like to live as a son or daughter of God. Again, it's so important not to earn your adoption as sons or daughters, but because we say as sons and daughters, I want to look like my dad. What's it look like to look like my dad? What's it look like to be in the family of God? Well, he continues on in verse 4 and says this. I'm actually going to read this from the ESV. I've been reading from the CSV. The ESV translates this better. 1 John 3, verses 4 through 9. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking the law. 
you know that he appeared, Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's, seeds, for God's seed abides in him and he can't keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So here's the question that should come up, hopefully, as you read that. Is John saying that Christians should be without sin? Is John saying that Christians should be without sin? It sounds like it, right? I don't think we can very quickly say no. Because he says in verse 6, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. That sounds like he's saying that. Verse 8, the one who commits sin is of the devil. John's throwing bang fastballs right down the center, man. That one has some heat on it. We're like, is there any uh, commentary on that? Any explanation? Verse 9, everyone who's been born of God does not sin. He is not able to sin. What's John doing? When you read and study the Bible, there is a very helpful... This is one of the reasons that what will be normal for us is just to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're starting the first one, September 19th, because the Bible translates the Bible. Hang on to that. Texts that seem obscure are often made very clear in other areas. So if we were to just come to this verse and take this verse, cherry pick it out of context. This, this is why, man, some preaching these days is real dangerous because it's easy to cherry pick stuff, make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. That's why we're going to preach the books of the Bible verse by verse because like, we're going to come to verses that I probably would never just choose to preach, right? The Bible interprets the Bible. So what John says in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, is this. So again, remember the question. Is John saying that a Christian doesn't sin? And that if we do sin, it proves that we're not a Christian, we're actually a son or daughter of the devil. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, here's how John would answer that. If we say, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But I love when that word's in the Bible. But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also of the whole world. So, the key phrase, the key phrase in 1 John 3 that we just read, where we're like, oh boy, it sounds like I'm either a fake Christian, or John's, John's like contradicting himself, the key phrase, and this is why the ESV, it just gets it better, is him repeating over and over again, everyone who makes a practice of sin. Everybody, there's a difference between, I'm struggling with sin, 
And then I'm going to Jesus and I'm confessing and I'm receiving his forgiveness in somebody who's making sin a lifestyle. I feel no conviction over it. I'm going to keep doing it. I don't care what Jesus and his word says. What John's going to say is you're proven by your attitude that you're not actually a follower of Jesus. But if you're somebody who's like, man, I, I love Jesus and I'm getting my butt kicked by this sin and it seems like it's always there in my life. What's going on? That's evidence that you probably are a follower of Jesus. Because there's actual battle. Folk who aren't followers of Jesus, man, they're like, you can pretend a good game, but you know there's no conviction over sin. There's no, like, man, I, I want to live in a way that actually honors Jesus. Okay, thanks for hanging with me with that. That's a, that is an important thing to grasp, right? If it comes up in Bible study, like John's saying Christians don't sin. What that creates is a whole bunch of fake people. A whole bunch of fake people who pretend that they've got it together. It's like, well, if he says Christians don't sin, I'm going to at least pretend that I don't sin. He's not talking about whether or not you struggle with sin. He's talking about the pattern of your life and formation. Is there evidence that Jesus has changed your life and that you're in the family of God? It's not, again, man, it is not the basis for our salvation that we fight and kill sin and say yes to Jesus and no to sin over and over and over again. That's not the basis for our salvation. It's not the basis for our adoption. It's the evidence of it. It's the fruit of it. A heart that's been changed by Jesus uh, begins to more and more love what Jesus loves and hate what Jesus hates. And when we sin, like John was saying in 1 John 1, we have an advocate before the Father. Jesus saying, that one's mine. I've purchased his or her freedom. Holiness means to be set apart. What that means is kids want to be like their dads. My kids, when they were younger, man, it's just everything I did, good, good or bad, you know that if you're a dad, good or bad. That's why I, I, like, I remember the phrase a lot growing up, do as I say, not as I do, right? Good or bad. Kids want to be like their dad. John's showing us what it looks like to be like our dad. Not so that we can be his children, but because we already are. So, what does this look like in our lives? What does it look like to pursue holiness as a church family? Well, we, we do this as we gather. This is why we, we retell the story of the gospel every time we gather. We have a call to worship. The first part of the gospel is who God is and what God has done. And we respond to God in singing. And we move into a time where we confess our sins together. Because when we're confronted with who God is and who we are, the next, the next step isn't to run from God to make ourselves right. It's just to confess who we are. And then we're assured of how God sees us. We're assured of our pardon. We rehearse this gospel narrative every time we gather together. But we also pursue holiness as the family of God when we scatter and so in missional communities, when we're engaging in discipleship and care and mission, we're not coming in pretending we're someone that we're not. In these missional communities, it ought not be a surprise to hear somebody say, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the perfect one. I really blew it this week. Here's how I've sinned. Here's how I need Jesus' forgiveness. I want to confess that to you. Right? And we're not going to fall in either ditch. Right? When you, especially with small groups, there's two ditches. I'm not going on too long of a rabbit trail, but just a little bit. Okay? There's two ditches that we can fall in. One is you confess sin and you're like, oh, buck up. It's not that bad. I was, I'm worse than you are. Somebody else is worse. Well, that's not, I, like, I know when I'm confessing sin, I am not saying, I'm not looking for somebody to be like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm like, no, I, I, it is that bad. That's why I'm confessing it to you. 
So we're not going to do that ditch, but we're also not going to do the ditch where you just beat each other up. We're like, if you sin again, I'm going to punch you in the chest. Right? So just do better, try harder. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to confess to one another like the Bible says, and then we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to remind each other what Jesus has done. And we get to actually follow God as his children. So we pursue holiness as the family of God, both as we gather and as we scatter. First trait, holiness. Second trait, love. These two traits, holiness and love, they have to go hand in hand. If you only get holiness, you end up as a cold, dead, lifeless, legalistic person. So John is going to say, yes, pursue holiness, but pursue love also. Holiness and love. So look at how John continues his thought in 1 John 3. In uh, verse 10, he says this. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or his sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, speaking of the story in Genesis, Adam and Eve's kids, Unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed uh, from life to death because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in so what John said is in the, in the family, there's a trait of holiness, but there's also a trait of love. Our relationship to one another is to be marked by love. It's the ethos of the family. It's the ethos of the family of God. How others are going to look at and know that we're part of the family of God. This is what Jesus says in John 13. A fascinating verse for me. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Look at what he says. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. A lot of you have heard me talk about this. I expect Jesus to say, by how well you love and serve the poor, by how much money you give, by what you do, by how many churches you plant, by how many verses you have memorized, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This isn't optional for us. It's not optional as the children of God. It is the defining characteristic of the church. When people look at Frontline Church and somebody asks, what's that church like? I've never been there. Love ought to be one of the first things that comes to mind. And if it's not, we're missing something. Like, man, those people love each other really, really well. It's the defining characteristic. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, most of us hear that and we're like, check, I'm super loving. You have no clue. I'm super duper loving. I love everybody. And I think most of us would say, I've felt loved by somebody who's not a Christian before. So what do you mean it's the defining characteristic between the church and the world because I have friends who don't love and follow Jesus and I often feel loved by them. So what's John getting at? Like, what does he mean? These are good questions to ask, even when you're studying your Bible tomorrow morning. What's he mean? What's he think about what he means? Well, there's a lot of different types of love. I love my wife and kids a whole lot. I do anything for them. In a different way, I love tacos. There's a really good, by the way, there's a really good place to get tacos. I just found out. Me and Richard went there. It's amazing. It's a sketchy little, 
I think called Supermarket 401. Uh, it's super sketchy and it's incredible and take somebody with you speak Spanish because <laughs> most folks in there don't, which means it's amazing, amazing. Right? I love tacos. I love uh, mountains. Uh, I love good music. I love lamp. Uh, like what type? What type of love is John talking about? What type of love is he calling us to embrace and to offer others? John actually anticipates that question. And in the next verse, just keep reading. If you got questions, man, in the Bible, just often keep reading. He answers it. Verse sixteen. This is how we have come to know love. This is what love looks like. He has laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's the answer. The difference between the way that the world loves, the way that I love tacos and I love mountains and I love those things, and the way that Jesus has called the church to love, the difference is the love he's calling us to engage in with one another is a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that says, I'm going to lay down my good. I'm going to lay down my preferences. I'm going to lay down what I hold dear for you, for the good of you. It's a love. It, it's a sacrificial action of goodness towards someone, whether or not they deserve it. This is what Jesus' love for us looks like. So, another question. What does that look like? What does that look like? How are we supposed to do that? How is the world supposed to know our love Jesus loves them because of our love for one another in this church. Really quickly, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Let me just read this for us. How are we to love each other this way? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, we said in Paul's letters, there's often this shift where he goes from, this is what the gospel is, this is what God has done for you in Christ, therefore, this is how to respond to it. This is that shift in Ephesians. He goes from all that God has done for us in Christ, bringing us into the family of God, and then he says, therefore, which remember when you see therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask, Okay, like two people remember that, that's good. You're supposed to ask, what is, what's it there for? It's cliche, but it's super helpful. So Paul's making a hinge point here where he says, in light of everything I have said before, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Not do all these things and God's going to love you. Walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. What does it look like for us to love one another, to embody this trait of love in the family of God? Well, we do this as we gather and as we scatter. As we gather on the Lord's Day. This is why there's folks who show up early and set things up and make sure uh, the kids have a safe environment to be in and make sure chairs are set up and there's signs out there. This is, this is us saying, as the family of God, we want to love one another in a self-sacrificial way. The folks who do that are sacrificing some of their good so that you and others can be here and, and hear and respond to the gospel. This is what we do as we gather, and it's what happens as we scatter. Think about some of the things Paul says. So like this should define the tone and the tenor, the culture 
of our missional communities? What should they look like? What should they feel like? Places of humility. Paul says in Ephesians 4, walk with humility. Like, I'm not going to think I'm better than anybody else. I'm going to actually put other people's needs before my own. Like, this is what we do as we're family. Man, I'm going to put my needs before your own. How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I come alongside you? Do you need meals this week? We got you. This is what that looks like. We do it in humility. We do it with gentleness. Missional community, like, this is not a place where we beat one another up. Where we compare ourselves. Well, I mean, I'm doing better this week than I thought. I just heard that thing you just brought up. Well, we're going to be gentle. This is how Jesus was. We're going to call people to love and follow Jesus, but we're going to do it in a way that's filled with gentleness. And when people don't do what we think they should do, we're going to respond with gentleness. When there's somebody that you're like, you haven't shown up in 12 weeks, where have you been? What in the world? Like, we're going to assume the best and approach them with gentleness. This is what Paul says. This is what we're supposed to do. We're going to be patient with those groups. This is all stuff. It's difficult stuff. Bearing with one another in love. That should be a book. It maybe it is. Paul's pointing out, like, man, as we love one another, one of the primary things that we do, one of the primary ways to love someone is to just bear with them in love. To realize, man, we're all on a journey. We've all got baggage. We've all got wounds. We've all got trauma. Hurt people hurt people. Like, all those things are true. And what that means is, that's not saying everything's okay. It just does mean, hey, like, Jesus is with me. I want to be that way with other people. Jesus bears with me in love. He's really patient with me. He's really gentle with me. When I don't get it right, let's respond to each other in the same way. This kind of love stood out in the early church. Like if, you, if you study the early church, there's a great book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Great book, uh, especially if you love kind of historical things like that. Um, this type of love stood out. Like, people took notice of this. There was a, a Aristides, who was a second century Christian apologist and philosopher. He wrote this to the emperor during the time, uh, the emperor Hadrian. Speaking of the early church, in a time where the early church didn't find much favor with the government, they love one another. Like what he says, they love one another. He who has, gives to him who has not, without boasting. They love one another and they give to each other and they're not like, did you see how much I gave to that person? You just took one meal, I gave it for director. They don't boast about it. When they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there's any among them that is poor and needy, if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Good gracious, man, that's loving. This is not like us, like, oh, man, I, I, don't, I, I don't really have the money to help out. I don't have anything to do this. They're like, I'm poor too. I don't have food. I'm going to fast for the next three days so that you can have the food that I would have eaten. That is love. That stands out. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, truly, this is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. Embodying holiness and love as the family of God is missional. It's countercultural. Maybe there would be modern-day philosophers who would say the same as us. Uh, let's pray together.
Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to embody this reality that we are the family of God. Help us where we fail. You say, Jesus, that when we sin, we have an advocate before the Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you stand before the Father pleading our case, reminding um, us of who we are through your word. It's in your name that we pray. It's for your spirit's power that we ask for the power and the strength to live as the family of God. Amen.